long. 21.14 is the time. That is Zonge tonight. Well, the first hour has come. The first hour has gone. Dr. Pindile Masangane, Chief Executive Officer, Petroleum Agency of South Africa, was the guest in the first hour, and we took it through right to the top of the hour, engaging the oil and gas exploration strategies and issues and questions and the like in the South African context. We move on now to hashtag health on Monday. As you know, this is what happens on a Monday at 21 hours. Dr. Champion Nguyen, senior researcher and lecturer in the School of Nursing at the University of the Free State, is our guest this evening. Dr. Champion Nguyen, senior researcher at the University of the Free State and lecturer in the School of Nursing Sciences, together with other researchers from Brazil, Singapore, and the United Kingdom, was invited by The Lancet to write a paper related to the, open quote, Frank et al., paper on transforming health professionals' education. Dr. Nyoni says being recognized as a researcher by The Lancet and publishing in such a prestigious journal, which is the first for the School of Nursing, is a landmark achievement in his career, and according to him, the Frank et al., paper has significantly influenced health professionals education and research over the past decade so let's get a sense from him how prestigious this journal is that is the lancet itself and of course we're going to talk to him about the paper what the paper advocates for and how in the advocation of that paper that is supposed to one way or the other translate into the public health care sector in south africa particularly the nursing profession not just its teaching but rather as well the, 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 the lived experience of the patient because I think the teaching is one thing and important as it is, your true outcomes should be measured by the clinical outcomes as well as the patient positive review and experience. In fact, it's no longer Dr. Champion because doctor only speaks to one having a PhD, but professor, now you're talking because he's revered by his peers and if you like, is an authority. So, Professor Champion, thank you so much for joining us. And you say the professorship is a new title. It came with a promotion. So many congratulations to you. And thank you so much for joining us here on SAFM. Thank you very much. It's actually a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me clearly? I can indeed. And let's hope that it it remains this way. I suppose first things first, let's understand, first of all, the context of all of this. Talk to us about The Lancet. I mean, it's clearly a prestigious journal. And then talk to us about the Frank et al., the paper itself, so that we can sort of locate ourselves in this conversation on nursing. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll just take you a bit on the history of health professions education, where the, the Frank paper fit in. So years ago, and that was before 1910, um, the training of health professionals globally was a bit haphazard, um, and the outcomes were not exactly what they wanted them to be. So there was this researcher in North America called um, Abraham Flexner, who did a nice situational analysis, particularly in the U.S. and North America, and sort of um, realized that there was gaps in the training of medical students and health professions at that time. And he sort of created what was known then as the Flexnerian approach to health professions education, which is sort of influenced how education has been for doctors, nurses, and, and other allied health um, from the 1910 mark 
uh, moving forward. So we sort of started to have a lot of basic sciences in our training, a lot of structure in our training, you know, uh, moving from two-year programs to four- to five-year programs. A lot of the training programs are still based on this so-called uh, flexibarian program. Um, a hundred years later, that was in 2010, the research team led by uh, Professor Julius uh, Frank, uh, the so-called uh, Frank et al. paper in 2010, reviewed development in health professions education 100 years later after uh, Flexner, and they made brilliant recommendations on transforming health professions education to be more alive within the uh, 21st uh, century. And they, they saw the values of what happened with the Flexner paper, but also looked at how do we align the people that we're training to what our needs are 100 years later. And they started talking about transformative type of teaching, transformative learning. And I think, you, I don't know if you have uh, experience of you know, moving beyond just the teacher talking to students, but students being more involved, engaged in their own learning. And now we are sort of 12 years after the first uh, um, Frank paper, and there was a recent paper that was then published by the Lancet, by the very same Frank et al. team, um, that we were then invited to make uh, a commentary on that very same paper, but specifically looking at the interprofessional education lens of, uh, of this paper. And when we talk of interprofessional education, we're looking at how we expect our health workers to work as teams, but there's often not so much of direct training on how they become teams. And so pre-service, we're looking at how do we train the nurses, the doctors, the physios, the OTs, to work as teams before they can actually work with patients, you know, to avoid duplication of services, errors in medication, errors in, in, in type of care. So the, our team was then invited to sort of bring in a futuristic perspective on how interprofessional education can be done within a low-resource setting like where we are in Africa and also um, in high-income settings like what's happening in the UK and Singapore. So that was quite an interesting um, uh, space, looking at it being the Lancet, one of the biggest journals in, in health sciences uh, with an impact of about 200. Fantastic. I propose that we take a very short ad break because it is 21.20 and we have to obviously make sure we pay the bills, as it were. My guest this evening, everybody, well, it is Professor now, Professor Champion Nyoni, Senior Research and Lecturer in the School of Nursing at the University of the Free State, talking of talking to us about his, well, forget the profession for a moment and the fact that he's a professor, but his scholarly contribution in global public health care. And we're certainly going to try and marry some of that thinking into the South African experience. I have absolutely no doubt you at home who listens to me can offer an experience one way or the other of how you were treated at a public health care facility and what your review of that experience would be. And certainly we would love for you to engage us on those thoughts and experiences so that we can marry the reality against, shall I call it, the theory and what hopefully will be integrated into not just theory, but theory and practice. Our guest returns. Hopefully you shall too after the break. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Songhe Zoma on SFM.
We're in conversation with Champion Yoni, professor that is. We're talking about essentially transforming health professionals' education, specifically looking how the professionals within or the professions within healthcare can, first of all, in their teaching, in their work, be a little more integrated. And perhaps I'm being a little generous when I say a little more a lot more integrated in their teaching so that they can, if you like, establish the team system before they start engaging with the patient because I think the patient cannot be dealt with by a multiplicity of healthcare practices or systems, if you like, because of the silos in which the healthcare professionals themselves over a period of time have tended to work in. So following the Frank et al. paper published by The Lancet in 2020, it was a commission report, it essentially speaks to and highlights the fact that colleagues should in the academic centers move away from that approach and engage the academic systems, which I was finding coming through as the theme of what you were saying there, Champion. And and I think the value in that is, is, is not just a pragmatic one, I suppose, in managing resources better. But I think it, from a clinical perspective, makes it that much more integrated so that one isn't just interfacing with a report that the one practitioner has written and handed over to the other. But yeah. the academic systems that are now going to be deployed following this cutting-edge um, commission report allows for more interaction in the team setup so that by the time they are engaging with the patient, there's a lot more coordination and a better understanding of the patient and the patient's road to being seen by this profession by this professional from the other and by this professional to the next. Tell us about the value in that, in, in, in the public health care context, because it certainly does sound good. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think the, the, the real value in all of this is quality patient care. I think that's ultimately what we're all working towards, you know, positive patient outcomes, positive patient experiences, if we could put it like that, because the approach around this model of education and hopefully to practice is putting the patient more or less as part of the team. You know, we used to think, no, patient is at the same time we're working. No, but the patient is actually part of the team. And when you're looking at how do we best work with with a patient's condition, it's not about just isolating this one single issue. Okay, I come in, I have a headache, and that's that. But it's having the team working with this patient to say, not only are you having a headache, but where exactly are you coming from? How does that influence where you are today? And eventually, how does this lead to your ultimate health outcomes? So the, I think the, the futuristic outcome is how our, sort of how do we get to positive patient outcomes? And I think that's the big issue around here, positive experiences of being um, ill and eventually getting to, um, to better health. Can I just for a moment suspend this conversation that we are having? Because, I mean, I know you have come here for that, but I can't not ask this question because it simply is an overwhelming reality for the South African public health care system. There is a great scarcity of resources. The environment is highly and heavily politicized. The fact that we can have, as we have seen in recent times, essential services workers, which by definition should not be allowed to go on strike, going on strike. Now, that takes away ultimately from the outcome of public health care utility in South Africa. It takes away from my experience on what in the Constitution is enshrined as a right. But at the same time, 
is it really not to be expected against the mounting pressures healthcare facilities, healthcare professionals together experience? High crime, the fact that it has now found its way mm-hmm. even in those very vulnerable spaces. Resources. Can, can you imagine going to work? You're a lecturer. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. other day the OHP is not working or, mm-hmm. or, or something is not available for you to be the best possible lecturer for your mm-hmm. students. You, you are supposed to have 10 computers and you are only allowed to have one at a time because it is more necessary in another faculty. That becomes the refrain of these very healthcare professionals mm-hmm. who probably don't want to strike or even if they do want to strike can use that as an opportunity to strike because the reality is mm-hmm. the resources that are supposed to be there deployed mm-hmm. so that when Songhezo goes there, he leaves a better person by experience and clinically and everything. Instead, I can afford it. I can pay my way out of what essentially I'm contributing to by going the private health care route system, whereas I should not. Aren't those fundamental issues really primal and what we are talking about secondary to that reality? It's, it's absolutely true. I can't agree with you. I can't agree with you more. And when you mention that we are living in a resource-constrained environment, it is our reality. It is often a challenge to us, particularly that apparently we sit in this film where we sort of try to work towards what are resource-less intensive interventions that we can think about that could sort of make systems work or systems run, which often find head of anyway in translation into practice. For example, um, not only are we talking about medicinal or material resources, even the human resources um, for, for healthcare, not only do we talk about not, but we increase the number of students. We do not even have the number of lecturers that are sufficient to teach the students. So it's a, it's a, it's a cascading effect. So we might have these, I think, good plans on paper, but it's not, at my issue, it's not working in isolation. All of this is connected into a bigger system. And if one part of the system is not doing in, in its utmost, then the rest of the system gets affected. I agree with you that um, primary issues need to be addressed because they all have a ripple effect on the bigger system, which includes even the ultimate patient experience. So we might train students to be to work together as teams and uh, to do this and to understand the whole model of doing this. But when they get into practice, there's only one professional, there is no business on the ground. So that affects the translation of such models into our practice. So I, I agree with you. And, and, and the academic systems that the commission report, the Frank et al. itself advocates for, becomes a stillborn. How can you have these academic systems when the mechanics of what make up the system are intermittent, infrequent, or altogether absent? And that's a big question. And I think in our country we're sitting with big recommendations, big uh, experiments that we're working on, some suggestions that this could be the solution. For example, the NIH, for example, primary health care as a model. And all of these things need to be put into practice. But again, like you're saying, it could be still bone, and we could be looking at this 10 years later and saying, oh, sorry, this didn't work because X, Y, and Z. So how do we become practical? How do we hold ourselves accountable to say this is supposed to be on the ground and it's not on the ground, and we create sort of a level playing field to make these interventions work? I think I like how you, you framed your initial issue around 
how to translate this theory into practice? And I think that's a very good question. Let's talk about your paper with your colleagues from other developing, if not developed countries, because we're talking about Singapore and the UK here. So we've got very high bars to emulate. I mean, Singapore is just a perfect case study of what leadership and leadership alone can do for a society. The UK, forget their political history for a moment, their reality is a patient who goes into the public health care system there gets, by and large, what they are due. In South Africa, more than it isn't. That is not the case. Let's talk about this paper, the nuances associated with it and the different schools of thought from Singapore, the UK and South Africa. And ultimately, what, if I were to read it, would be the salient points? Um, so what was fascinating about this paper is a lot of the literature and a lot of discourse often comes from the so-called global north. And even the definition of models comes in that particular space. So when we talk about what is medicine, or how medicine should be done, how healthcare should be done, uh, it's often from there. And what we were sort of bringing to the paper was, well, Brazil, South Africa, we have a different approach to doing things. For example, our healthcare systems will have traditional healers. And how do you bring the traditional system or the parallel system or the, the so-called alternative system of healthcare into the discourse? Because it actually is where a majority of our people access healthcare. So how do you become rounded in our conversation on, on looking at healthcare, not necessarily often talking to, you know, a model that fits within the uh, Western, within the Western world. So this paper brought in um, I think, innovatively, the whole discourse of what often is ignored from the global south, uh, uh, arguments around, for example, the traditional healers, um, the traditional healthcare within our normal, formal westernized health system, uh, the realities of resources, and how most of the times, even in our case, South Africa is a good point in time, where you find only one healthcare worker, one type of healthcare worker within a health system. We also have mid and very low range type of, uh, of health workers that come into the system, which are often not what you get in your high income spaces. So what we brought in was to bring that, that link that the world we're living in is quite plural. And at the same time, very porous in that what happens within the South African space influences what happens everywhere else. And COVID being an example of just one health problem in China became the global problem. Let me ask this. In relation to the systems to which the paper advocates for the, the Frank Adala, I'm, I'm basing a lot of what I'm engaging you just on that because I think mm. it's, a, it's, it's a common point of departure. The academic sure. systems... It might, and I, you, you can correct me, have focused on healthcare professionals in the teams space. But is an integral member of that team not the non-patient before he or she becomes the patient? Here's why I'm saying this. Against what you've just said now, in other words, the African approach to medicine, sangomas, if sangomas are to be there, just traditional mm. medicines as we have known them from home, passed down from generation mm. to the other. That is an integral feature of who we are as a people. Forget it being just a healthcare issue. It defines us who we are, even culturally. The fact that we have a relationship with our land and that relationship extends to finding healing, physical healthcare healing from that land. 
Should not the academic systems of the commission report perhaps have integrated the non-patient or the individual before the individual becomes a patient? In other words, this is your obligation in this enterprise of healthcare. Have a relationship with the land, and the, I'm talking about now the global south, um, typical person, me and you. Have a relationship with the land. Plant your own food. Eat your own food because the relationship becomes different to food that you buy. Yeah. Your medicines, for instance, Umklonyama, Athemisia gained some real traction in the height of COVID. And for many, it was a way of life. Mm. And the relationships we learned to have with lemons and pineapples, you name it. Is that not an <laughs> integral feature of who we are as a, as a people? in relation to health care and the systems that ought to be deployed. So we're talking about teaching. It's one thing to teach the professionals how to intervene, quite another to teach songers how to remain healthy. Right, right. I, I agree with you. I think the, I think the strength of South Paper had, had its own limitation. And we also spoke at a particular angle. Mm. But what has been ad- advocated for, and I think that's where the whole the whole length of this um, interprofessional education collaborative practice is coming from. On how do you integrate a biopsychosocial spiritual approach to care? That it's really not about me waiting for some days to be sick and then I have to deal with you when you're sick. Mm. But how do we know you beyond um, beyond what what you brought into the hospital? How do we know where you're staying? How do we know how you, where you're staying is influencing your healthcare? And you can't really know that as one single profession or one single discipline to say, I'm, doc- I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse and I'm able to know everything about this patient. The idea is that how do we work as teams? And I think one of the um, uh, suggestions that are coming through the National Health Insurance Plan and what we saw with an example um, in Soweto, a, a Shawelo clinic, where they're working with a system of empanelment, where they even register their patients and they get to know the people that are living within the community, the types of lives they have, integrating community health workers to work with the patients within the communities that they live in. I think that's the sort of idea of it's not let's sit in the hospital and let's wait for people to be ill, but let's actually go there, let's be with the people, let's understand how they live their life in this sort of approach, that by the time you're coming in with a tooth, I, I know that Songhezo has consulted X and Y and Y has gave him this and this mm. has happened this, and that's why you decided to come to the system. And even if I prescribe, let's say, get medicine X, I know Songhezo is going to take medicine X with something that's put in the porridge and something that's put in this, because that is the reality of where we exist in mm. the African setting. Mm. And I think we are, it would be quite myopic of the system to ignore all of that and say, Absolutely. if I give you something for, for an STI, that's exactly what you're going to take. We know you're going to do other things. So let's bring that into the open and let's deal with it. That's who we are. I want to say something potentially controversial, but I'm not addressing that, but the okay. thesis behind it all. In the new, in the early part of this democracy, my day, not not my day, man, Mando Chabalalamsimang, remember beetroot, garlic, that conversation. Yeah. Is what you are saying now, albeit in different words, in a different context, nonetheless the same in thesis, that you can't ignore the good value of diet and the people's circumstances. In other words, healthcare is not 
just about the drug. But lifestyle, conditions, reality, and diet. I'm not saying what was being said then is in any way yeah. authority. No. Yeah. But what I am yeah. saying, there are parallels to what you have just said to what was said then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very careful there. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. That's your I'm final response. Go for it. <laughs> but my, my final response is that you are not but just a condition. You are not but just a disease. You are a human who has all other issues that you are dealing with. And some of these issues include your diet, includes your lifestyle, includes the people you interact with, includes the people you work with. All of that has got an impact on your mental health, on your physical health, cultural health, even just what we call culture. Mm. So looking at, at just one aspect of just you coming in and saying, this is what you have, and us getting treatment to that and saying, go back home, that's insufficient. But if we are sitting as a team, and the whole team has this different facets of what they're looking at around you, we're able to pick a more broader or broader issues that you're working with. And it's easier for the dietitian to come in and say, Sonia, so have you thought about this? It's easier for the people from physiotherapy to think, have you done this one? It's easy for the people in social work, have you considered X, Y, and Z when we work as a team? I think that's the, that was the sort of the main message behind this. And the idea is not only do we want to limit it to the health professionals in hospitals or within the mainstream or Western health mm. sector, but we know that our people out of here, they're going to go to Gokumatlang, and Gokumatlang is going Correct. to be X, Y, and Z. From Gokumatlang, they're going to be baptized in this other river. This is what's going to happen. And we can't ignore that. That's, that's a big picture. How then do we become honest with ourselves and integrate this into our health care for better outcomes? Because the moment we start to say, no, we are focusing on just the drug, our people also start telling us what we want to hear. But behind the scenes, they start doing other things that might be contraindicated to the sort of medicines that we are trying to push with them. Well, thank you so much, man. Yo, I really did enjoy this conversation. Professor Nyoni, quite literally, you're a champion. Thank you. It's a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Indeed. <laughs> Professor Champion Yoni, Senior Researcher and Lecturer in the School of Nursing at Kofsis, University of the Free State. After the break, a couple more stories. You know what they are, Top Scholar. And what's the other one? Top Scholar is one of them, though, after the break. Love is love. Are you single and struggling to meet the right person?